it's pretty easy for us to be enticed with new. Like a new car. A new home. This is cute. A new job. <laughs> a new trend. A new look. A new you. Nope. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Because our creator seems to be all about new. Like a new promise. A new command. Hi. New life. <laughs> new mercies. And even a new year. God not only loves new, but promises to make all things new. And we are invited into the sacred work. got a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. On May the 29th, 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary became the first human being to ever set foot on the peak of Mount Everest. Many had tried it before Hillary, but no one had made it. It always ended in disaster. But on that day, he made it to the peak. Mount Everest is over 29,000 feet tall. That's over five and a half miles. Can you imagine how he must have felt as he was standing there on the peak looking out at the world? Well, when we get to Romans chapter 8, I believe that this spiritually is much like Mount Everest. Many people have said that Romans is the greatest book in the Bible and Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. The book of Romans tells us how we can be saved. It tells us how we're going to live. It tells us about all the many blessings that God gives us. But when we get to Romans chapter 8, it is as, as if Paul takes a magnifying glass and he looks at these blessings, these benefits that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. But if we're going to ever understand Romans chapter 8, we have to also understand Romans chapter 7. Because you can't take these passages individually. They go together. You see, when the Bible was written, we didn't have these chapter divisions. It wasn't like Paul wrote Romans chapter 7 and then he took a break and he took a couple of days off. And then he sat down and he wrote the next chapter. No, that's not what it was. He was writing a letter to the church. And so when this letter was read to the church in Rome, they read Romans 7, and they went right into Romans 8. Then in Romans chapter 7, toward the end of that chapter, Paul begins to deal with the struggle that he faced as a follower of Jesus. And the struggle that he faced is the same struggle that each and every one of us face. We find ourselves in this quandary because the things that we want to do, the way we want to live, oftentimes we don't. And the things that we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 7. He said, sometimes I don't even understand myself. I want to do what is right, what is pleasing to God, but I don't. 
Instead, I do what I hate, what I don't want to do. Can I get a witness, amen? I mean, have you ever felt that way? Man, I have. I've felt that way more times than I want to admit. I've had to look in the mirror and say, I don't even understand myself. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, the life I want to live, pleasing to God, I don't do. Every one of us who have a desire to follow Jesus have felt that way before. Now, when Paul gets to the end of chapter 7, he, he pins these words. He says, oh, wretched, oh, miserable man that I am, who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So as Paul is wrapping up Romans chapter 7, you could almost think that what Paul is saying is, here on this earth, you and I will never be able to live the way we want to live, much less the way God wants us to live. But is that what Paul is really saying? Is Paul saying that, that you and I are doomed to live lives of defeat here on this earth, but one day, someday, we will experience the victory? Or is there more to this story? How many of you are old enough to remember the name Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey would, was on the radio and, and he would tell a story and you would think that he had come to the end of the story, but then he would say, but now the rest of the story. And so Romans chapter 8 is the rest of the story with Romans chapter 7. And so let's begin by reading these first four verses. Listen to what Paul says. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Now Romans 8 begins with this incredibly great affirmation. There is no condemnation. There is no judgment. There is no denunciation. There is no rejection. There is no penalty for our sins. It means that God doesn't get angry at us when we mess up. Some of us have this idea that God is up in heaven on his throne and he is just there waiting for us to mess up as we try to walk this Christian life. And when we mess up, when we blow it, he's ready to pounce on us. And either he is going to judge us, he is going to punish us, or worse yet, he is going to stop loving us. But the Bible says here that there is no condemnation. There's no judgment. 
There's no penalty. There's no rejection. God will never turn his back on us. The bottom line is this. Paul is saying that we have been freed from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin has already been paid for. You and I, we couldn't keep God's just requirements for the law. We never can. We never could. But God sent his son Jesus in a body like ours. And Jesus did what you and I could never do. He kept the requirements of the law. And then he offered himself as a sacrifice for each and every one of our sins. And because he offered himself as the sacrifice, the penalty has been paid for. The debt has been paid in full. We no longer have to worry about judgment. We no longer have to worry about punishment. We no longer have to be concerned as to whether God's going to turn his back on us and not love us anymore. That's been taken care of. Now, does that mean that, that God doesn't long for us to live a righteous life? Well, no. God longs for us. God desires for us. God expects us to live a righteous life. Does that mean that God doesn't have a standard for us to live by? No, it doesn't mean that. God has a standard for us. Does this mean that God will not discipline us? No, it doesn't mean that. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. But what this does mean is that God will never, ever take away our pardon. The penalty has been paid for. Our sins have been forgiven and he will love us forever. But let me tell you something else this phrase, no condemnation, means. Have any of you ever seen a sign like this on a building? You pass a building, it may be a house, it may be a a business and the, the business or the house has been damaged by a storm. A tree has fallen on it. It's just gone into disrepair. And, and you see that sign on that home, on that business. And what that sign means is that this place is not safe to be inhabited. This place is unfit for someone to live in. And I'm afraid that many of us have that idea when it comes to God. We see ourselves as being condemned. We we feel like we are unfit to be loved by God. We feel like we are unfit for God's service. We say things like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. I've cheated on my spouse. I've had an abortion. I've, I've been addicted to drugs or alcohol. I've done, you can fill in the blank. And we feel like because of these things that we have done, that God could never love us, God could never use us. But the Bible says that there is no condemnation. You see, God is in the business of taking broken things and rebuilding them. And it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter how far you have fallen. God will not condemn you. God can restore you, and God can make you like new. But here's the key. You've got to belong to Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation to those who belong to Jesus. This passage doesn't say there is no condemnation. Oh, there is condemnation. 
But if you belong to Jesus Christ, there is never any condemnation. Now, how do I know whether I'm going to be condemned? Whether I belong to Jesus or not? That, that's the million-dollar question, by the way, for each and every one of us. For those of us who already know Jesus, that was the question we needed answered in our life. For you here today who have, who have never surrendered your life to Jesus, that's the question you need to answer. Do you belong to Jesus? Because this promise of no condemnation is only for those who are in Christ Jesus who belong to Christ Jesus. Here's what you need to understand. If you don't belong to Jesus, if you haven't turned from your sin and trusted Christ alone to save you, you are only under condemnation. You are already under condemnation. In John chapter 3 verse 18 it says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So you see, if I want to live a life that is free from condemnation, punishment, judgment, rejection, shame, renunciation, if I want to have the penalties of my sin removed, the only way is to belong to Jesus. Now, if you have a King James Version of your Bible, you see another phrase in verse 1 that I didn't read. And if you have another translation of the Bible other than the King James, you don't see that phrase in those other translations. And the reason is that phrase is not found in the oldest manuscripts. It's not found in the majority of the manuscripts. This is the phrase. It says, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, that phrase may not be in most of the oldest manuscripts, but that thought is in this passage. It's found in verse 4. And that thought is taught throughout Scripture. You see, there is an evidence that we belong to Jesus. We can look at our lives and we can tell whether we belong to Jesus or not. If I belong to Jesus, I will be walking not according to my flesh, my sinful desires. I will be walking according to the Spirit. So how are you walking? How are you living? Because what Paul is saying here is if, if I belong to Jesus... I'm not going to follow the desires of my sinful flesh. I'm going to have a desire to follow the power of the Holy Spirit. Our flesh pulls us in the direction of this world. But the Spirit of God living in me, living in you, pulls us in the direction of the Father. And so in this passage, Paul makes another great affirmation. He says we are not only free from the penalty of sin... We are free from domination. Sin no longer has the power to control us. You see, Jesus freed us from the penalty of sin. The Holy Spirit is freeing us from the power of sin. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. How, how many of you have ever gone to the pool or to the beach or to the lake and you had a beach ball. Ever 
played with a beach ball? Now, beach balls are fun to play with, aren't they? I mean, we throw them up in the air, we hit them to each other, we play volleyball, we try to knock people out with them, we do all kinds of things with them. But one of the things that, that we often do is, especially if we got a big beach ball, is we sit back and we try to hold the beach ball under the water, right? We want to see if we can hold this beach ball under the water. And depending on how big you are and how big your beach ball is, you can hold that beach ball under the water for a time, under the season. But before long, the pressure of that beach ball under the water gets so strong that the beach ball comes shooting out from under the water into the air. None of us on our own are able to hold the beach ball under the water indefinitely. Now, some of us have what I like to call beach ball theology when it comes to the Christian life. We trust Jesus to save us. We have this desire to turn from our sin. We repent of our sin. We want to live for Jesus. And we give it our best shot. Man, we work hard. We, we, we try our best. And, and for a season, we may do okay. We may do good. But there comes a point where we're holding it down and we're holding it down and we're holding it down. And and after a while, we can't hold it down any longer, and it comes shooting up. And man, it just explodes, and it makes a mess. Does that ever happen in your life? I mean, you're sitting here trying your best to live for Jesus and do what he says and follow his word, and you're just giving it your best shot, but then, man, you can't do it any longer, and it just shoots up, and man, you just explode all over everybody. Well, that's what's going to happen when you're trying to live the Christian life on your own. You can't live the Christian life in your power. The Bible doesn't ever say that in our power we can have victory over sin in our life. But what the Bible does say is that Jesus comes along and he puts to death sin in our life. It's as if Jesus comes and he takes a knife... <laughs> And he pokes a hole in our beach ball of sin. And when he pokes the hole in the beach ball of sin, then, man, it doesn't take any effort. That beach ball can just stay under the water. But it's not you that have done it. It's Christ in you. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. You see, what we need to understand today is our victory in the Christian life isn't about what we can do. It's about surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And when we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in us, He will come into us and do in us and through us what we can't do on our own. The Bible says this, Christ in us, our hope of glory. It's not your self-effort, it's not your self-will, it's Christ in you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living in you that gives you hope. The Bible says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. It doesn't say that because you trusted in Jesus, you're going to be stronger. You're going to be greater than he that is in the world. What it says is the one that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Can I get a witness? Man, it's not you. 
It's not me. It's not me trying harder. It's not about me being better. It's about me surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And when we do that, he makes everything new. In Titus chapter 3 verse 5, Paul says this. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. New life. The Holy Spirit comes into us. And we become a brand new person. Now we talked two weeks ago about the reality that the old person's still there. Remember Martin Luther said, I thought that when I gave my life to Christ, the old self drowned. But I discovered that that old self could swim. And that's what happens. That old self, man, it doesn't take long for that old self to be resurrected. To come back up and show itself in your life. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When the Holy Spirit comes into you, he makes everything new. And Paul tells us three things that are made new. First of all, he tells us that we have been given a new mind. Listen to what he says in verses 5 through 8. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things but those who are controlled by the holy spirit think about things that please the spirit so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace for the sinful nature is always hostile to god it never did obey god's laws and it never will that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please god Paul begins this passage by saying that if God's spirit is living in us, we will set our minds on the things of God. If God's spirit is living in you, your mind will be focused on different things than it was focused on before you gave your life to Jesus. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit of God changes the direction of your thinking. God's Holy Spirit gives you a new way of thinking. How many of you are familiar with that phrase, worldview? Worldview. The worldview, your worldview is the way you look at the world. It's the way you view the world. It's the way we look at life. Our, our worldview determines how we decide what is right and what is wrong. Well, here's what I know. When you give your life to Jesus and his Holy Spirit comes to live in you, your world view changes. You no longer look at the world from your perspective because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you are now seeing things from God's perspective. Does that mean that you won't still see the world? No. Does that mean you won't still struggle with thinking like the world? No. But it means now, because God's Spirit is living in you, God's Spirit is seeing the world from God's perspective, and so will you. When you meet Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, He will change the way you think. He will change the way you look at things, the way you make decisions, the way you determine right from wrong. Let me give you an example. Years ago, we had this couple that 
um, before I moved here, living in Orlando, we had this couple that was coming to our church. They had never been to church in their life. Both of them had grown up in pagan homes, and, and our church was downtown Orlando, and, and they lived downtown Orlando, and they just started coming to church. I felt like this is a good thing to do. They started coming, and they liked it, and they got saved. They gave their lives to Jesus, but they lived together. They were living together. I mean, they were both pagans. They didn't know any better. I mean, they, they didn't know God. They didn't know right from wrong. Goodness gracious, one of them's mom and dad were living together, never been married. They, they didn't know what God's word said. But when they gave their life to Jesus, I brought them in and we talked. We sat down at a table together. I said, hey, you gave your life to Jesus. Let's talk about that. And, man, it was real. It was evident. They just, their lives were changed. And I said, I know you want to live for Jesus now, right? And they said, oh, yeah, we want to live for Jesus. So I said, well, let's, let's talk about something. Let's talk about your living arrangement. Because I noticed both of you have the same address, right? I'm assuming both of you are living in the same bedroom, right? Safe space, right? And so they, you know, kind of grinned sheepishly and said, yeah. And so I said, well, let's see what God has to say about this whole thing about sex before marriage and what God says about marriage. And so we started with Genesis and we went through the Bible to Revelation looking at what the Bible says about marriage and sex before marriage. And we got to Revelation 21 and I said, so in light of what God says about marriage, what do you think you need to do? And the guy said this, his name was Joe. The guy said, well, I need to move out. I went, what? I mean, kind of shocked me. He said, I need to move out. I said, well, you're right, but I mean, just wasn't ready for that answer. I said, you're right, I mean, but hey, I'll marry you immediately if you want to. He said, no, I want to do it right. Man, I want to move out. I said, where are you going to move? I said, I'll go move back in with my parents. I said, they're going to let you? He said, sure. So he moved out. We started counseling. I counseled them for three months, and then they got married. Why? Because Jesus changed the way they looked at life. Jesus changed the way they thought. I didn't have to stand in condemnation. I didn't have to judge them. I didn't have to say you're wrong. I just opened up the Word of God, and God spoke. Spirit living in them testified with their spirit what they needed to do. Why? Because their minds were changed. Can I have an amen or an oh my? You see, God gives us a new mind. It doesn't mean we won't struggle. It won't mean we won't have ups and downs. It doesn't mean sometimes that we don't have this desire to say, I don't want to do that, God. It doesn't mean any of that, but it does mean, it does mean that when the Holy Spirit comes into you, you begin to see things from his perspective. Colossians 3 verse 2 says this, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Here's what I know. If your mind is constantly on the things of this earth instead of the things of heaven, it may be evidence that you've never really been saved. We connecting? Do you hear me? I mean, if, I, if I'm constantly thinking about 
possessions and power and popularity and all the things of this world, the self, the self, the self. And I'm not thinking about God's glory and God's honor. It may just be, it may just be that I've never really been saved. You see, he gives me a new mind, a new way of thinking, and, and I begin to see things from God's perspective. That's why, by the way, listen to me. Listen to me. I, I, I don't believe that, that myself or any other preacher needs to get up and, and, you know, preach at you all the time about what you need to do. If you get off track, I want to tell you, but I, I personally believe that the Holy Spirit in you will bear witness with what you need to do as you're reading God's word because the Holy Spirit will give you a new mind a new way of thinking a new understanding and a desire to live life from God's perspective second thing the Holy Spirit does is he gives us a new nature listen to what it says but you are not controlled by your sinful nature you're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by His same Spirit living within you. Now verse 9 gives us a clear definition of a Christian. A Christian is someone who... The Holy Spirit is living in. Did you get that? And the Bible says if the Holy Spirit is not living in you, you do not belong to him. In other words, there is no condemnation to those who belong to Jesus. If I belong to Jesus, who's living in me? The Holy Spirit. I don't belong to God if the Holy Spirit is not in me. I've been pastoring since I was 22. And um, I've got friends who disagree with me on some issues theologically. Think they're wrong. That's why I'm who I am. I believe that I'm rightly dividing the word of truth. But some of my friends are of a more charismatic persuasion. And, and they believe that, that um, there is a second work of grace, a second blessing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I've occasionally had people come to me and say, Rocky, have you received the Spirit? And I go, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And they say, well, when did you receive the Spirit? I said, when I got saved. They'll say, well, no, no, no. When when did you receive the Spirit? When I got saved. Well, well, you didn't have a second work? Say, the first work is still working. (laughs) Didn't need a second work. I got all the Spirit of that I was going to get when I got saved. The Bible says if God's spirit is not in me, I don't belong to Jesus. And so I would challenge you. If you're here and you're one of those that are looking for the miraculous, you're looking for the signs, you're looking for the wonders, and you're longing for those things, stop it. I mean, just fall in love with Jesus. Pursue Jesus. And he'll give you everything you're looking for. Because the Bible makes it clear that when you give your life to Jesus, his spirit comes to live in you. There is one faith, there is one baptism, there is one hope, and that is through Jesus. No matter who 
we are. So, what does this have to do with a new nature? Well, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and he makes all things new. So, how do we know? How do I know that the Holy Spirit lives in me? Because what most people are saying when they say, have you received the Spirit? Is they're asking, have you received a certain gift? And the Bible makes it clear that there are a couple of things that must happen if the Holy Spirit comes into your life. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So, so Jesus said, this is what's going to happen when my spirit comes on you. You're going to receive power to be a witness for me. And so let me ask you a question. Do you have a desire to tell people about Jesus? I mean, do you really want people to know you're Jesus? Because if his spirit is living in you, can I tell you? That the Bible says that the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. And so if the Holy Spirit lives in you, the Holy Spirit is going to want to use you to draw people to Jesus. That's going to be his desire in you and for you and through you. But the Bible also talks about fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, it talks about the works, the fruits of the flesh. And you've heard those, sexual immorality, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, selfishness, dissension, envy, drunkenness, all kind of crazy things like that. And then he says, but here's the fruit that the Spirit produces in your life. Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if God's Spirit is living in you, then the fruit of that, the evidence of that, will be those qualities, those characteristics coming through you. Because the Spirit, who is those things, is living in you. He gives us a new nature. Because He lives in us, we will have more love, and we will have more joy, and we'll have more peace, and we'll have more patience, and more kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness and self-control and I got to tell you that doesn't mean that they'll always manifest like they're supposed to you know you who are here regularly my dad is in a nursing home on hospice my mom I've moved her into assisted living so she can be close to my dad and I'm emptying their house um, we're selling it in two weeks it's closing in two weeks and, and it's a chore and I mean it costs $6,900 for the nursing home for my dad. It's $5,000 for the assisted living for my mom. Do the math. My dad was a pastor all his life. This not only doesn't leave money, there is no money. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's tough. And you can imagine my mom's stressed out, and she'll ask me the same questions over and over and over. Can't Medicare pay for some of this? No, Mom, Medicare's not paying for any of it. Well, can the VA pay for some of this? Mom, we've applied for everything that VA can pay for. And then three days later, can Medicare pay for some of this? Mom, we, we talked about this several days ago. I, I told you, no, they, they can't. I mean, we got to figure it out. What about the VA? Can the VA pay more? Mom, we've talked about that. I, no. We got everything we're going to get from the VA. And, and there will come a point where my mom will ask these questions and, and I mean, she'll want to spend some money, and I'll say, you can't spend that money. 
And I mean, I'll just get flustered. I'll get frustrated. Not very patient. I'll hang up. I'll call her back. I call her back to apologize and I get even more frustrated. I hang up. Then I call back. And I keep on hanging up and calling back until I can finally work it out. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and patience and kindness. And that doesn't mean that those things are going to be manifested 24-7 in our lives. But it means that the Holy Spirit is going to be trying to push those things out of us. Because He is in us. We've been given a new nature. You know, some people ask the question, can Christians sin? Well, absolutely, with the best of them. We really can. But man, a Christian can't sin and enjoy it anymore like you could before you became a Christian. That's just the reality of it. Because the Holy Spirit is living in you. He's given you a new nature. Can you do the same things you used to do? Absolutely, but it's going to be a whole lot less fun. You're going to feel guilty and ashamed and embarrassed. And and you're going to stick with it until you make it right. Because you've been given a new nature. We've been given a new mind. We've been given a new nature. But then he says we've been given a new identity. And we're closing with this one. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have an obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. You have no obligation, excuse me. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So have you not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves? Instead, you received God's Spirit when, you adopted, when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You see, some of us look at God as this, this taskmaster, this slave owner that we have to appease, that we have to make happy. And if we don't, he's going to be all over us. He's going to be all in our grill. But that's not God. The Bible says because God's spirit lives in us, We've been born into his family. We're not slaves trying to obey a master. We're a child that is loved by a father. Wow. The word Abba, man, it's the most intimate word that could be used to describe a daddy. The most intimate. The Jews really didn't understand it. It's not found in the Old Testament. They would never speak of God that way. Was unheard of. God was this holy God, which he is, this righteous God, which he is, but man, God was to be feared, and he is, but he's to be feared like we fear a dad who would give his life for us. He's to be feared like a dad who, when we scrape our knee, he picks us up and holds us and hugs us tight. Like a dad who, when we mess up, He's there defending us. He's got our back. We've been given a new identity. 
when God's spirit comes into us, we're born into his family and we become sons and daughters of God. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I don't understand that fully, completely in its entirety. But I think, I think that it's somewhat tied to Genesis 1 where God created us in his image and in his likeness. My kids, I can't deny that my, they're my kids. I mean, even if I wanted to, I can't. I mean, they're just too much stinking like me. You know, the good things they got from their mom, the bad things they got from me. But, I mean, I just look at my kids and, yep, that's my kid. My kid. Matt went to my parents' house yesterday to help me with some stuff over there. We left real early in the morning, tried to get back a little early. And on the way home, we were going to get something to eat. And we thought we were going to be able to go to this wing place. We looked it up, and the one we wanted to go to was closed. But the funny thing was, we're sitting there, and I, Matt was looking at the menu online as we are getting close to where we thought it was. Matt said, I'm getting a little emotional. I went, What? He said, I'm getting a little emotional. He said, I'm looking at this menu and I started thinking. Man, we might can share this appetizer and then we. This little tear came into my eye. And I just laughed and said, golly, you're my son. Just love food. It's crazy. When the Holy Fire life. We're God's spirit. We become like him. Not in its entirety, but that likeness, that image that was, that was messed up at the fall, that is going to be restored completely day at the resurrection. Spirit comes into us. He begins to make us like we were supposed to be at the children created in God's image and God's likeness been given a new identity wow you see it's not about you and I checking a list and spirit of God to flow through us and when we do there's so much freedom so much joy and so for some this room what we need to do is we need to quit trying we're Christians we've turned from sin we've trusted Jesus and we our best but we continually disappoint ourselves and the reason is too hard quit trying surrender let him in you, you. When he does, you'll discover things you never you could do. You're now doing things that you thought stop doing. They're in the rearview mirror.
but it's not you trying. Stop that. And you start spirit to work. Now for us in this room, here and you've had that kind of relationship. God, you know, know that there's not a moment in your life where there's been a change. Something happened. And I'm just, just here to tell you that when God's Spirit comes to live in you, there may not be bells and whistles and lightning and thunder and flashes and tongues and all of these things like that, but I'm here to tell you when God's Spirit comes to live in you, He'll change you. He'll make you new. Maybe you're here and you just need to right now and acknowledge, I don't have a relationship with God. You need to turn from sin and trust Jesus and allow his spirit to come into your life and change you. And he will. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity right now. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus to do that. That's what you want to do. You know you need to. Then pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I come to you today humbly. Acknowledging my sin. Acknowledging my inability to live the life you created me to live. I'm so sorry. I'm tired of rebelling. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of doing. I need you, Jesus. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I I believe you died on a cross. I I believe you rose from the grave to forgive me for my sin. And right now, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. Come into my life and make me new. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. Thank you for your promise for forgiveness. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you for saving me. Amen.